Hebrews chapter number 11. We started a series sometime back and really wasn't intending to start it, I don't guess, when we first got going in this chapter. But uh, as we began to look at this chapter, as we call it the Great Hall of Faith chapter, it is a chapter of the Word of God that is uh, highlighting some individuals, uh, some characters that we find throughout the Word of God. And so some characters that are found in the Word of God have been compiled in this great hall of faith chapter. And there's an emphasis uh, in this chapter of the faith, the great faith, that each of these characters had. And uh, the interesting thing about the faith that each of these characters had, while the Word of God is revealing to us their great faith, their great faith is also revealing something of the word of God to us. Now, the book of Hebrews, the book that we're in today, is a book that was written to the Jew uh, who was trying to add works unto grace. And so in this portion of the word of God, Jesus has already been born of a woman made under the law to redeem them that are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. He come to put on flesh he come to bleed and to die and shed his blood. For the Bible says, for without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so he shed his blood and we find he was as a lamb slain before the foundations of the world. And so we see in that for those verses of scripture that Jesus was ordained before the world ever existed, that he would die. Jesus was never a, a plan B. He was always God's plan, knowing that when he made man, man would fail. And the Lord loved man enough that he brought reconciliation through his son Jesus Christ to be the, the, uh, the sacrifice for all of mankind. And that's why the Bible said there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You cannot get to heaven looking at Allah. You cannot get to heaven looking at Buddha. You cannot get to heaven coexisting. You cannot even get to heaven in religion, Brother Shane. You get to heaven by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not afraid of religion, but religion uh, will send you to hell if you don't have Jesus Christ. Amen? And uh, so it's not in the Virgin Mary, although I believe in the Virgin Birth. But it is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? No other name under heaven. You know, me whereby we must be saved. But having said that, the Jew here, after Jesus has ascended... And went back to the Father after he rose again. We have singing that song, He Lives. And let me say this quickly in light of that song. I wasn't there when all those things happened to Jesus. Wasn't there when he was born. Neither were you. Wasn't there when he died. Neither was you. Wasn't there when he rose again. Neither was you. But I was there when he moved in on this heart of mine. Amen. And I know that he lives today because the word of God says he does. Not just because of some feeling or an experience. But I trusted him by faith through the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God, John 17, 17 said, thy word is truth. I take him at his word. Amen. Let God be true, the Bible said, and every man a liar. Your ideas and my ideas are worthless. It's all about what his word says. And the Bible teaches us that this word has been preserved for all generations. Amen. We'll be judged at the judgment seat of Christ if you're saved by the word of God. You'll be judged at the great white throne judgment by the word of God because this is God's word. And this is what he's left for me and you. Hosea said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. Where do we get our knowledge from? I was a growing grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus Christ is the truth. He's left us the truth. And so having said that, the Jew has, uh, has accepted Christ, but they're falling back on tradition. They're falling back on the law. They're falling back on some things that they 
felt like they had to do some works in order to be saved. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews is dealing with this matter of faith. Now, let me start off in verse 1. The Bible said in Hebrews chapter 11, you can just keep your seats this morning. I'm not sure where all I'm going to go. But Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 1 said, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is evidence. Say, uh, you understand, that's why the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, chapter number 2, verse number 10, Be thou faithful unto death. He wrote that to a church, right? The Lord wrote that into a church, had that written by the pen of John to the church, and a literal church. And it's to be faithful unto death because people can't see uh, Christ unless they see Christ through us, right? He lives on the inside, and this body is the temple of the Lord. And you understand the Spirit of God dwelled in the temple in days of old. Well, the Spirit of God dwells on the inside. So when you get around this flesh in the temple of the Lord living on the inside, there ought to be some kind of manifestation of the Lord in my life. You ought to be able to see Christ in my life. I'm not perfect. I'm not Christ. But I ought to be revealing Christ in my life for he lives on the inside of me. And so having said that, faith reveals something. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It, it ought to be evidential to you, Brother Marvin, that Christ lives in me by the way that I live my life and the faith that I hold. My faith is not circumstantial. My faith is not circumstantial. Faith that is circumstantial is not faith. Faith is something that you should have when things are going good and when things are going bad. When you have a lot and then when you have a little. Paul said, I knew how to abound and I knew how to be abased. Uh, but the Bible also said in all things that we understand that he was what? He said, I think myself happy. I finished my course with joy. The man that also said that if in this life only I have hope, I of all men would be most miserable. Paul's saying, if I didn't have the hope of Christ in glory, I'd be a miserable human being. A man that was saved, the man that said, I'm happy. A man that said, I finished my course with joy, saying, if this world is all I had to look for, I'd be miserable. Because he went through a lot of hardships on this earth, but he stayed faithful. So can I say to you that we're emphasizing in this chapter the faithfulness of the born-again believer. We're, we're showing a, 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 an individual, a Jew, that is wanting to fall back on that of the law instead of understanding that it's by faith, by grace through faith. Grace is unmerited favor, right? So the teaching here is, is if you're saved, you're saved because of grace. Not anything you did, but because of everything he done. And that's why when we get saved, we get saved through Jesus Christ, not anybody else, because no one else done for us what Jesus did. No one else brought saving. No one else brought the ability to save you. Understand what I'm saying? And so having said that, the writing here to the Jew is this. You need to understand something about faith. You need to understand something about grace. And you need to realize it's not by your works that you're saved. It's by grace through faith. The vehicle is faith. Amen. It's believing. The Bible said, he that believeth not is condemned all Ready, say, I don't believe. You're already as good as in hell, according to the word of God. You just ain't got there yet. But if you'll believe on that name, which is above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, call unto him, confess your sin, he'll save you. It's, it, it's not a hard thing. It's just a matter of doing it. It's a matter of seeing yourself as you are, seeing him as he is, and accepting him as your personal Lord and Savior. But having said that, what's interesting and what's unique about this chapter, and I'm just trying to give you just a quick summary real fast, is that there was individuals that are called out in this chapter that reveal to the Jew that is struggling with their salvation. Now you understand someone that struggles with their salvation, Brother Marvin, 
is not living a victorious life. For someone that's accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, but maybe they're living in sin, they've got out of church, they're struggling with some things in their life, there's sin that's present, they're doing things they know isn't right, the devil gets on your back, friend, and before you know it, you think, I don't know if I've ever been saved or not. No, I say this, we ought to know whether we've been saved. And, and I want you to know something. There ought to be a time where you remember that you knew you was a sinner and you knew you needed a Savior and you, you did call on the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me say this to you. Satan wants to rob you of your victory. Satan doesn't want you to be victorious. How do we know that? Look at the, the children of God who come out of Egyptian bondage and was headed towards the, the promised land who wandered in the wilderness 40 years. They did not have 40 years of victory. They had 40 years of struggling. And the average church member today who's saved by the grace of God is like the children of God who come out of Egyptian bondage. Oh, they're no longer bound. They're no longer bound, but they're not living the victorious Christian life. And someone that's not victorious is miserable. It's miserable. Now, let me ask you something. If you're a Christian and you're permeating misery, are you permeating something that someone is lost should be wanting? Absolutely not. Brother Shane, if I'm a miserable Christian and I just hate life and I just hate living, then why in the world would somebody who's lost want what I've got? So why does Satan desire that you live a life that's not victorious? Because he don't want you showing anybody that's lost anything that they might want. Amen? Amen? That's the point. If he can't drag you to hell, he'll want to make your life a living hell on earth. That's exactly what he's trying to do. And so... Let me say this, when you see somebody who goes through what Paul went through, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave my outline, I can't, I can't get there. When you see somebody that, that is like Paul who, who said, if in this life only I have hope, I of all men would be most miserable. He is saying, Brother Shane, that without Christ and the hope of glory, I'm miserable. Because what this world has to offer is wearing me out. Because he suffered. He had a thorn in the flesh, messenger of Satan to buffet him, right? But why was it that people looked at Paul after he got saved by the, by the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and, and, and they, they knew that there was something real about Paul that they wanted. Why? How could a man that says, if in this life only I have hope of all men would be most miserable, why would anybody want what he's got? He had true joy. He had real victory, something that most people don't have. But he yielded himself fully to the Lord. Now let me say this. How do we know, how do we know that people followed Paul and wanted what he had? Go with me to Acts 16 quickly, and I'm going to try to I'm going to try to <laughs> I'm going to try to preach the message that the Lord laid on my heart this morning. But I want to I want to draw your attention to some things I think that are going to be introductory to where we're headed. So go to Acts chapter number 16 for just a moment. Let me show you something about Paul and this familiar portion of Scripture, and what we've we've read from it before. And I don't want to uh, read a, a whole bunch here, but I do want to show you something. Uh, the Bible says here. Let's go to verse 22. The Bible said, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. Who's getting beat right now? Paul and Silas is being beaten for the message that they brought. Notice this. The Bible says here, And when they had laid many stripes upon them, so now they're whipped. They've been beaten and they've been whipped. Man, this is a man that said, I thank myself happy. This is the man that said, I finished my course with joy. I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. What are we dealing with the Hebrews 11? Faith, right? He kept the faith. He stayed faithful. He said, when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, 
charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. So they've locked them up in prison. They've been thrown in jail for the message that they brought. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. So let me say this. We understand, Brother Shane, that, that they stayed faithful. Paul said, I finished my course of joy. I kept the faith. He stayed faithful from the time he got saved to the time he died. He stayed faithful. That's something you and I can do. We don't have to have great talent. We don't have to have great beauty. We don't have to have great wealth. We don't even have to have a wonderful personality. We just have to be faithful and show a lost and dying world that God is so important to us. He's the only thing that matters. And he truly is the only thing that matters. He was the only thing that mattered when you was on your knees accepting him as your personal Lord and Savior, knowing that hell was going to be your home if you didn't accept Jesus Christ. He's the only thing that mattered that day. You wasn't worried about fried chicken, mashed potatoes, and green peas and rolls. You was worried about one thing, going to hell and being with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all that mattered. Paul kept that same mentality through his life. Jesus, the only thing that matters. If in this life only I have hope, I've all men must be most miserable. At midnight, though, in verse 25, Paul and Silas prayed, saying praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Take notice of that. The prisoners heard them. Now, who was hearing? They had a captive audience. Brother West has mentioned that when he talked about Acts chapter number 27. I've brought that up before, talking about how Paul said, I, Paul, prisoner of the Lord. Ephesians 4 refers to it that way. I believe Philemon may refer to that as well, where Paul references himself as a prisoner of the Lord. Now, as I've stated, the guard thinks here that, that Paul is his prisoner. The guard's been charged to watch Paul. Keep an eye on Paul. Don't let Paul go. We've, we've not only put him in the, behind bars, but we've also chained him. Because they must have believed that Paul had something. And they didn't want Paul getting free. So they've charged the jailer to keep an eye on him. Now, the jailer in his mind is Paul is my prisoner. Paul is my prisoner. Paul's saying in Philemon and Ephesians and probably a few other places I can't remember off the top of my head, I, Paul, prisoner of the Lord. Prisoner of the Lord, prisoner of the Lord. Paul's never saying that I'm the jailer's prisoner. Paul's saying I am a prisoner of the Lord. In other words, I, just about in my circumstances, will love the Lord, stay faithful, and stay true, and, and I'll love him, and I'll worship him, and I'll praise him in spite of my circumstances. So what happens? Paul does just that. He exemplifies it right here in Acts 16 where the Bible said at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises. There wasn't anything else to do. I wish there was some, I wish we would get to the place where there wasn't anything else to do. We got a lot of other things to do where we don't sing praises unto the Lord. But if we could get some quiet time and some still time and some alone time again where we wasn't running a hundred different directions. Maybe Brother Shane mentioned a little bit about that this morning. You and I could focus our attention on the Lord. We're being robbed of of our time with the Lord because we've got all these things that we do and some things we have to and then some things we just do because we want to but we're not giving God our time. But Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. Now those prisoners, I imagine, probably weren't singing praises unto God. They probably were not praying unto God. They were probably bound thinking to themselves, boy, if I could just get out of here, all the things I could do. I, I'm going to tell you something. I used, to, I used to work on an assembly line in Knoxville, and I worked the, the night shift. And Brother Shane, literally, all I done was this. All night. That's the longest eight, ten hours you've ever worked in your life, standing in one spot on concrete doing nothing but this. This work wasn't that hard physically. As much as it was monotonous, and it would drive you crazy. The longest eight hours of my life. I'd rather dig a ditch for eight hours with Brother Shane where I had some conversation 
than I would to sit on that assembly line for eight hours and do this. Because of the monotony of it. It drove me crazy. Time stood still. And so I thought of all the things that I could do when I was on that assembly line. Man, I thought about the transmission I was going to put in my truck. I still remember this. It was so detrimental to my mind that it still bothers me to this day. All the things that I thought of that I would do when I got off from work or I needed to get done or my ambitions. I was newly married. We were young in the Lord. I, I had all these ideas. Man, I, I built houses in my mind. I built fences in my mind. I, I farmed in my mind. I had all kinds of stuff. To sit in prison and to need to get out and not be able to. Man, you think of all the things you're going to do when you get out. I'm sure that's the mindset that those prisoners had. Paul was praying and thanking the Lord. He was focused on the Lord and praising him. Now notice what happened. The prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's, notice this, everyone's bands were loosed. Why? The prisoners hadn't done anything maybe to praise and honor the Lord. The Bible said Paul and Silas did it. Why? was the bands loosened from everyone and not just Paul and Silas. What is the message that's being conveyed? Now we know the message that's being conveyed had a detrimental effect, or not a detrimental, but had a vast impact on the guard because the guard had been charged so that he knew the consequences were so vast that if Paul and Silas fled, that he was going to be punished to the point that it was easier for him to kill himself and commit suicide than to endure the punishment that was going to be handed down to him from his superiors for allowing Paul and Silas to be gone. And so the Bible said he was going to fall on his sword. Now Paul, in his discernment, recognized the situation as it was. How? It must have been some serious psychological warfare going on in this individual's life to think about killing himself with a sword. There's been many people on the edge of killing themselves. I'm not sure why I'm here, but let me stay here for just a minute. There's been some people in life that's got to the place they thought they'd kill themselves. I'm going to kill myself. I just can't go anymore. Paul recognized it. Paul didn't want him to kill himself. Paul wanted him to get saved. Now, here's the interesting thing. The man's thinking, this is my prisoner. This is my prisoner. This is my prisoner. The, The bands were loosened and the doors fly open. Paul cried out to the jailer. And what does he say to him? Let's look in our Bibles here. The Bible said in verse 27, And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. Why? Because anybody else in any of their right mind would have been gone. The, The guard's saying, if I was in that situation, I would be gone. He was so sure that they were gone that he was going to kill himself before he ever checked to see if they were gone. Let me say this. He wasn't checking on them. But Paul was checking on him. Why? Because he cried out not to, do, not to do it. Don't kill yourself. For we are all here. Now let me ask you something, Brother Shane. Are you not responsible for yourself? And to some degree responsible for your spouse to, to a degree. But it kind of just stops there. I as a pastor or as a husband am responsible for my wife and my daughters. And as a pastor responsible for how I lead the flock of God, but it really stops there. I can't make anyone do what they do not want to do. Now, I want to say this. You know that's true because you know the heart of this preacher. And if I could do what I wanted to do, we would have chairs down the aisles 
because we wouldn't have enough room for everybody that would be sitting in here this morning coming under the influence of the Word of God, this Word that was preserved for you and I that God said was so important that we needed it, but people see no need for it today. So they don't, they don't have a, a mind to hear what God has to say, but if I could make them, I would. But I can't because I'm only responsible for me. But let me say this, Paul had such an impact and his faithfulness and his willingness to love the Lord in spite of his circumstances had such a drawing power on the other prisoners that would have fled, who were not praying, who were not worshiping, that Paul, when he cried out, he cried out with authority that we are all here. Why? They had service in that jail. Church was happening down inside that prison because there were some boys who heard what was going on with them men, and they knew that them two boys had something that they did not have. And let me tell you something, the guard recognized not only that Paul that day was not his prisoner, that Paul was a prisoner of the Lord or Paul would have done been gone. Something else caused Paul to stay besides those shackles. Something else called Paul, caused Paul to stay besides those prison doors. But that jailer understood that Paul stayed because there was a higher power that caused him to love people enough that he was willing to stay in those circumstances for the betterment of that man who was going to kill himself. That man realized that Paul's life was less important to him than that jailer's life. And that jailer was broken by the love that was extended to him by Paul, not necessarily by the hug, but by the action. Oh, we can hug people. We can talk with our mouth. But we don't put it into action. Paul's faith was being practiced in that prison to the point that it had an impact on those that were in the prison and an impact on those that were out of the prison. And then it even went further than that because the jailer goes home and guess what happens? The jailer and his family got saved. Why? They weren't there to experience it, but the message daddy brought home was enough to get them going. Amen? Because they knew that dad had been changed. A change had taken place to the point that dad come home from work and was telling them about what happened and they knew the man before he went to work. Now they're seeing the man that come home after work and the change that has taken place has caused them to recognize that there is something else going on. You know what we're trying to do? We're just trying to live our life with one thing in mind, that stay faithful, that's love the Lord and have an impact on people. That was just all introductory now for the message, okay? I'll try not to be long, but that's what faith does. Faith does what we cannot do. When you are discouraged because you feel like that you're not getting anything accomplished, staying faithful in spite of your circumstances will do more for the cause of Christ than any talent, any beauty, anything else that can be done, just faithfulness. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Why did Paul get saved? There was a manifestation of the presence of the Lord, Brother Martin. The Lord revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus, and Paul got changed. Do you know what we're needing today in our, in our uh, lives and in our churches and in our families? A manifestation of the presence of the Lord. Do you know how the Lord manifests his presence? Through faithfulness. Through faithfulness. It's the evidence. I'm thankful that I had a few people in my life that stayed faithful and because of that, they manifested to me the realness and the presence of God. I've told you before, I never questioned if God existed. We live in a world today where atheists run rampant. And they say they don't believe in God. They don't believe in this. They don't believe in that. Now listen, I didn't have no signs. But I had a grandpa and a grandma who loved the Lord. My mama and papa went to church. I never wondered if they were going to miss. 
I never wondered if I was going to have a string of cuss words come out of one of their mouths. I never wondered if they were going to be vulgar. I never wondered if they was going to get a divorce. It never crossed my mind. My mom and daddy divorced. My daddy's been divorced twice. My, my, my mom has struggled in her marriage, a second marriage. I mean, there's been, just, I've had no really good example on how that a home should be ran. But I'll say this, in all of that, and all the impact that had on me negatively and emotionally and mentally, I never questioned if my grandma and grandpa were going to get divorced. Why? They just exemplified faithfulness. They exemplified it till the day they died. Now, maybe they didn't before I was born. But from the time I can remember till the time they died, I didn't wonder if they was in church. I knew they were. It helped me to see. And I seen the Lord do things through my, with my grandfather and help him out of situations that I knew no man could. There was a manifestation of the presence of God. Now, I hadn't had a personal relationship with him. I had not experienced him personally. But I never questioned whether he existed. We must give a, there must be a manifestation of the presence of the Lord through our faithfulness. This chapter is showing a Jew that is believing that he has to work his way to heaven. That he does not have to work his way to heaven because back before the law was ever instituted, what they're falling back on. There's, we're going to reveal to you some individuals that you as a Jew would know something about from the Old Testament scriptures before the New Testament ever comes on the scene. This is New Testament scripture. So what are you saying? I'm saying it's a possibility, Brother Shane, and highly possible. I know it's possible. I know it's the truth. They didn't have the whole canon of Scripture like you and I do. But he's saying he takes them back to Scripture. He takes them back to people that they historically have been taught up through their life about. The Jews are going to know something about Cain and Abel. Those books are the first five books of your Bible were written by Moses. The Pentateuch and then the Minor Prophets and all these things. So these Jews are being brought back to the Old Testament. Now what do you hear today when you start preaching about the Bible? Well, that's the Old Testament. Let's talk about the New Testament. The Old Testament's being used to reveal to them some New Testament truths. The Old Testament runs and, and relates to the New Testament. They coincide. They, they complement one another. It's not that the age of the Old Testament was so different from the New Testament that we can't draw anything out of the, out of the Old Testament because we're in a church age and in the New Testament uh, 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 time frame. No, it's not true. But by the way, there's things in the New Testament that the Bible deals with that we haven't got to yet. There's things prophetically in the future we haven't reached yet. There's, there's things in the Bible that talk about what's going to happen after Jesus comes and raptures the church. Jesus ain't raptured the church yet. He's not come back and brought us out of this world and taken us to glory as a whole. But the Bible tells us about it. Are we not allowed to preach on that because it ain't happened yet? No, the Old Testament's being used to show them something. And in these individuals who is revealing to us their great faith, an emphasis on the fact that they had great faith, their faith reveals to us something. Now, what have we taught you so far that the faith reveals unto the Jew that is having an issue with apostasy? We found that Abel, in verse 4, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. I'm in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. So what are we finding about the story of Cain and Abel that we preached on? We found there was a blood sacrifice. Abel brought a lamb and Cain brought his works. He brought the fruit of the ground, what he tilled, what he what he planted, what he sowed. God rejected what the works and he accepted the lamb and the blood sacrifice. So from the very beginning, we find that works has never pleased God. The law, according to the word of God, was our schoolmaster to teach us one thing. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When you get that nailed down, the law done for you what it needed to do. 
You come short of the glory of God. Now understand with me, if you will, that's why sacrifice, the Bible said, had to be made continually. But Jesus was the only sacrifice. And he'll, and he'll never have to be sacrificed again because Hebrew, Isaiah 53 said he shall see the brother's soul and be satisfied. The sin debt has been paid at Calvary. You have to accept what Jesus done. Now it's in your ballpark. Jesus done everything he's going to do. God done everything he's going to do. Now it's up to you to accept Jesus Christ if you lost and undone. That's simple. You're headed for hell. You'll die without God if you don't accept Christ. And he's done everything he can. But to as many as received him, them gave you power to become the sons of God. Now it's up to you. You have to confess your sins to him. You don't have to confess them to me, by the way. You don't have to stand up here uh, at the platform and confess all your sins to all of us. You have to confess your sins before the Lord. You have to tell the Lord you're sorry. You don't owe me an apology. You owe him one. Amen. It's your sin that put Jesus on the cross of Calvary. He who knew no sin became sin. Amen. He who was rich became poor. That through his, uh, uh, through his poverty you might be made rich. Join heirs with Christ to be with him forever. So here's the issue as it stands. Abel shows the blood sacrifice. The life of Enoch uh, was the Bible said by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. So Enoch we see a picture of the rapture. Through the life of Noah we find grace. What is grace? Unmerited favor. We preached on Abraham and how Abraham, re and Abraham reveals many things. And the Bible tells us that the gospel was preached unto Abraham. But we emphasize the repentance that Abraham's faith reveals. Then Sarah we see the supernatural birth. A woman that was too old to have children had a, had a child. That's, that's a picture of the virgin birth. Isaac's faith, we found, reveals the inheritance. That's Jacob and Esau, how the elder brother had to give up his inheritance for the younger brother. Amen? Or the younger brother got what he got because of the elder brother having relinquished it. Let me put it that way. Then we found that Jacob's faith reveals to us the cross. Remember, he crossed his arms to bless, well, to bless uh, the two sons of Joseph the way that he did. Understanding that the younger got the blessing and the elder didn't. And it's through the cross that we, as the younger uh, siblings of Christ, as the Bible teaches us, that we are his brothers and sisters. He is our brother, our elder brother. There had to be a cross in order for that to happen. Then we find here that uh, Joseph revealed to us the resurrection. We sang that song a minute ago. He lives, he lives. You know, Jesus did die. He was crucified. He was put in a tomb. And in three days, he rose again. He's the only person that's died that's had the power to raise himself up again. The Bible tells us that he took captivity captive. He, he, he went and preached unto those in paradise. And the Bible tells us that he has the keys to hell, death, uh, and the grave. Or death, hell, and the grave. So what am I saying here? We're finding all, this, all these things that are being shown to the Jew. And let me mind you, remind you of everything that we've dealt with up to this point all the way through the life of Joseph. It's all in the book of Genesis. Everything that I've, we've preached on that's been revealed to the Jew thus far has come out of the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. We're finding the gospel through the lives of these individuals that were in the book of Genesis. You can find the gospel in the book of Genesis. It's an amazing thing. But now we find that we leave the book of Genesis and what's the very next book of the Bible? The book of Exodus. Now the book Exodus literally means just what it says. It's an exit. It's a leaving of and going to. Exodus means they got up and they left. Amen. And that book in the Bible is about leaving. What's it leaving? Bondage. What's the Jew having problem with right here? 
The Jews having a problem with being victorious. They're trying to put themselves back under the bondage of the law. And so the very next book, we transition now from all these individuals that reveal to us the gospel. And we leave the gospel now and we go into the book of Exodus and now we're going to learn what? What do we learn about the book of Exodus? That those who have come out of bondage. See, if you're saved by the grace of God, you're no longer bound to the flames of hell. You're as good as seated with the Christ in the heavenlies already. But as we've learned that those who have not are already seated in hell already. That's why the Jews said some having compassion making a difference. And some saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire. You can't pull anybody out of the literal flames of hell. So why does the Bible say that? Because you're as good as pulling them out of hell now because they that believe not are condemned already. God, Christ, already sees them as burning in hell. Because Christ, when he's at Calvary, seen us for what we could be, not what we were. He don't look at people like you do and like I do. He looks at them in the eyes of eternity. Brother Marvin, every woman, boy, girl, a man that's lost and undone, God sees them as someone that's already burning in the flames of hell if they don't get saved. So this book of Exodus is a transition. I hope that all this series we've been doing is starting to all come together and paint you one big picture about the Word of God that we often miss. This book ties together just like this. We're finding an Old Testament teaching for a New Testament uh, principle. Amen? And so here's what I want you to see. The Bible tells us after we get down through all of that, we get down to uh, verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 11. We've dealt with from Abel all the way down to Joseph and we've revealed the gospel. We've seen the gospel revealed through the faith of these individuals. When we get to verse 23, we're talking about who? Talking about Moses. We've transitioned now. Now the Jew knows every individual that's been spoken about up to this point and beyond. But here's what I want you to understand. The writer to the Jew here in the book of Hebrews, let me say this just as a way of remembrance here. Not all of the Bible was written to you and me. But all of the Bible was written for you and me. And we can learn it. All scripture was, was given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and righteousness. So we're learning something that we can apply to our lives in 2022. I'm glad this book that God gave us is applicable to you and applicable to me. So having said that, we look here in verse number 23, the Bible says, by, by faith Moses. Now, where do we learn about Moses? In the book of Exodus. So we leave the book of Genesis now where we have found the gospel that was preached unto Abraham in the very first book of the Bible. And we transition now to the second book of the Bible. And the second book of the Bible is the book of Exodus, the great exit. Where all of God's chosen people come out of Egyptian bondage and they're given the promised land. Unfortunately, though, in this story, we find that they weren't victorious even though they come out of Egyptian bondage. It even How many times have we heard in the book of Exodus where uh, they come to Moses and said, we would have been better off back in Egypt. Did you know a saved person can get so low in their Christian life that they actually take the mentality, I'd have been better off just to be living in sin before I got saved. Why? Well, you understand the Holy Ghost of God dwells on the inside of a man that's, that's saved. And the Bible teaches that a man that's saved will be rebuked and chastened by our Heavenly Father. Now, rebuke and chastening is hard. And you're a miserable individual when you're not obedient doing what God wants you to do. But there's no greater life than being in the center of the will of the Lord, walking hand in hand with the Lord. But for the individual 
who has been saved but just ain't got there yet, Brother, uh, Brother Shane, just won't, just won't accept what God wants out of their life. They're as miserable as those that come out of Egyptian bondage. Now let me say this. We often relate Canaan to heaven, but that's not what the Bible's teaching us here. Canaan land is not heaven. Canaan land in the Bible by type is a picture of the victorious Christian life. They were brought out of Egyptian bondage. They had been saved from the slavery that had them bound. They had been set free, amen? But although they had been set free, they weren't getting out of life what the Lord wanted them to have. He said, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. It is unfortunate that the majority of Christians today who have been saved by the grace of God are miserable human beings who are not showing a lost and dying world anything that may cause them to want what they have. Paul had something that made a difference. Paul had something that when he was in jail and had nothing but hardship still permeated the truth that those that were lost and undone wanted what he had. Brother Marvin, if you're getting whipped and beaten and thrown into prison, would I want what you had? You could be of such faith that in spite of your circumstances, I could desire what you have. People are looking for something that can help them. They just don't know what they need. Why are people piercing themselves, cutting themselves, tattooing themselves, drinking themselves into oblivion, not having sobriety, but drinking to the point that they're drunk so that they really can't think about life the way that life is, but they're looking for some euphoria, some emotional high, something to take their mind off the reality of their situation today. That's what they're longing for. Why? Because they're unhappy. They just don't know how to find true happiness. Paul said, I think myself happy. Why? Why? Because he had Christ, the hope of glory. And he knew that this world had nothing to offer him. But he wanted to be in heaven. I'm in a straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart. But it's more needful that I'm here with you. I, I'm telling you, he, he, why was it more needful? Because the Lord wanted to take him and his suffering and still permeate Christ through his life and show people Christ. Listen, you know what Jesus was, right? The Bible teaches us that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. Now this temple that the Bible says is our body is what? It's flesh. Jesus is still wanting a body. Jesus is still wanting to present himself through a body. Now, when Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, he was manifest in one body. But he talked to his disciples and said, I'm going to glory. But I'm going to send the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And when a man got saved, you see on the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit moved in on the inside of man. When a man gets saved, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, dwells on the inside. Do you know what he's doing? Instead of manifesting himself in one man, he's wanting to manifest himself in all men. Now listen, the one man, Jesus Christ, had such an impact. Why are we not making an impact today in 2022? We're not allowing Christ to live through us the way he wants to. And it's causing us misery. And we're not victorious. And we're not enjoying life. Listen to me, a person has to drink their sorrows away as not enjoying life. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> it gets worse, I must confess. Hang on just a minute. The Bible says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. 
Now, this chapter moves us from bondage. Or, excuse me, this chapter, Exodus, moves us from uh, the, the gospel into the, the, the victor what the victorious life should be. But we also see the problems in life that isn't victorious. Now, surely you can relate to this. I, as a preacher and as a pastor, must admit to you that I've not always lived a victorious Christian life. That I've allowed myself and my flesh to rob me of all that God wanted out of my life. Now notice with me, if you will. Now isn't that what Satan done to man in the first place? He robbed man of what God wanted him to have. And man was removed from the Garden of Eden because they'd done of something that God told them they could not do. One thing. One thing out of all the trees in the garden, man wanted that one that they were not allowed to have. I'm telling just being told no makes a person want to go do what they're not supposed to. Yeah. Now, now hear me out here. We're transitioning. The Bible said, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Now, if you will, please, go with me to Exodus chapter number 2. All that we've taught so far to the book of Hebrews has related back to that of the book of Genesis. And now we are moving into the book of Exodus. We're transitioning in our teaching on what we are learning. We have emphasized now what the gospel is. The Jew has seen the gospel. The Jew has had the gospel revealed to them through people that they could relate to. Now, you'll find that in Genesis, Exodus chapter number 1, we ended with Joseph, if you will, in uh, Hebrews chapter number 11, and we moved from Joseph to that of Moses. So the transition between Genesis and the rest of Exodus is in Exodus chapter number 1. Now, let's read just a few verses of Exodus chapter number 1. These are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt, every man in his household came with Jacob. And uh, the Bible said, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, and all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already, and Joseph died. End of Joseph. So there's Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 22 at, at the end, right there. All right? The Bible said here, and Joseph died and all of his brethren and all that generation. So all those that Joseph had had an impact on were dead. And the Bible said the children of Israel were fruitful. So let me say this. There was still lineage from Jacob and, 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 and from Abraham and from Isaac and from Jacob and from Joseph still in this land. Right? But they were dead. And the generation that we have been talking about were dead. A generation down the line was in, in Egypt. The Bible said, And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and waxed exceeding mightily, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. So Joseph is gone. His generation is gone. And the king that had placed him second in command over all the land of Egypt is gone. And now guess what? There's new people on the scene. I got news for you. One day we're all going to be gone. And if things are still going and this world's still turning, there'll be a people here and the sun's still going to rise and the sun's still going to set and you and I ain't going to be here, but the world's going to keep turning until Jesus Christ comes and melts this thing with a fervent heat. So let me ask you, what's going to be left? What's going to be left? Now notice with me, if you will, and I'm just going to give you the rundown on this. What happens is this new king has seen the abundant increase in the Hebrew who, by the way, was of the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. They've exploded in this land. And they have exponentially increased. The land ain't getting any bigger, but the population is. And the Egyptians is saying this, man, we got way more Hebrews running around here than what we need. 
If we get too many Hebrews, we won't be an Egyptian people. We'll be a Hebrew people. You know what would happen to America, right, if we had an increase in Christians, don't you? We'd be a Christian nation again instead of a godless one. But you know why we're a godless nation and a nation that was one nation under God at one time? Because there's been a, an exponential increase in sinners because sinners are born sinners. Amen? And the church hasn't done what they're supposed to do. And men have, and women have laid down and, and caused their enjoyment of life to become more important to them than the cause of Christ. And church is not important to people anymore. And the book's not important to people anymore. And Christ is not important anymore. And us permeating Christ that souls may be saved is not important to people anymore. So there's an influx of godlessness. So here's what this Egyptian king is saying. Pharaoh's saying, we're going to wipe them out. How are we going to do it? We're going to kill all of the newborn baby Hebrew boys. We'll kill them. Then we'll keep the girls. And through a period of time, by marrying Egyptians to Hebrew girls, we'll have half Egyptian, half Hebrews. And before you know it, we'll wind up with a pure line and everybody will be Egyptian. That's the idea. Okay? So that sounds far-fetched. Well, it wasn't for Hitler. It's happened in your modern day. So having said all that, there's midwives that's been told by the king to kill them. Now, there were some women who wouldn't kill them because they feared God more than they feared the king. It's a shame that we don't fear God anymore than we do uh, anyone else. We ought to fear God more than anything. But the Bible says here, and there went a man, chapter 2, verse 1, and there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Now, who is this child that has come on the scene in Exodus chapter number 2? You keep reading and you find it's none other than Moses. Moses. We've transferred from Joseph to Moses. We've talked in the book of Hebrews about all the people that showed us the gospel. Grace and the blood and the supernatural birth and the great inheritance and the cross. All those things have been taught. Now we're in this book of Exodus. We see Moses and what about Moses? Well, Moses done great things, Brother Shane, to draw out the Egyptian from bondage headed towards that of the promised land. He was the leader that was supposed to help them come from bondage to a victorious Christian life. But notice the Bible doesn't transition from Joseph to Moses. The Bible transitions from Joseph to Moses' parents. We look at what happened in Egypt, Miss Pam, and what happened with those children of Israel, the Hebrew that come out of Egyptian bondage, and we think of Moses. Moses was the leader that brought them out. The Bible wants to stop right here before we get to Moses and emphasize a great truth to us. Moses was a Moses because Moses had a jockabed for a mother and Levi, and, a, and a, I believe his name, his, uh, Amram, I think was his name, for a father. What are you saying? The Bible wants to talk about their parents for just a moment. The writer to the book, or the writer of Hebrews who's talking to the Jew, who's struggling with their salvation. He wants to emphasize a great truth while he's at this teaching. He wants to emphasize the parental guidance and control that was placed in the life of this great man we know as Moses. So an emphasis is called. What is this emphasis? Well, let me read to you something, if I can, in Numbers 26 and 9 while I'm holding in Exodus chapter number 2 about Moses' parents. Numbers 29 
Now, you do remember when we read out of Numbers 12 the other day that we found, Brother Shane, that Miriam and Aaron were called with Moses by God to have a discussion because Miriam had got crossed up a little, Brother Marvin, in her thinking about Moses' leadership. Now, Miriam and Aaron aren't necessarily equals in the leadership role. But can I say this, Brother Shane? Miriam and Aaron were with Moses. Miriam and Aaron did leave Egypt. Miriam and Aaron were interested in the things of God. So can I say this? While we are learning this great thing about Moses' parents, can I say Moses' parents didn't just raise one godly child out of three. Moses' mom and daddy under different circumstances, still managed to get all three of their children headed in the right direction out of bondage and moving towards that of victorious Christian life. That's amazing because a lot of times we have this attitude, well, well I, got, I had five kids and they're all out of church, but I, I got one that's living for the Lord. And then we like to boast about how, how, how we raised them right and got them there. Listen to me. You go back to, to uh, I believe it's 2 Chronicles 29, where we were talking about Hezekiah. How Hezekiah began to reign at the age of 25 years old. And at, the, at reigning at 25 years of age, the Bible said in the first year, the first month, he done what? He called the Levites and priests, and he said, sanctify yourselves. We're going to sanctify the house of God. We're going to open the doors of the, of the house of God. We're going to get things right and back in order so that we can worship God and so God can be pleased. Ultimately, it's all about God being pleased, right? But we found that he was the son of one of the most wicked kings that ever lived. Hezekiah was a man who, by the, according to the Bible, was a great king who was the son of a terrible king. Now, one could say, man, look at Ahaz. I bet Ahaz was proud of Hezekiah. Look what Hezekiah done. No. No, because you go back and you read 2 Chronicles 28, we'll find, I, I, I need to read that to you because I want you to get this. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing that we're fixing to look at. If I can find myself in 2 Chronicles Chapter number 28. The Bible tells us here, Ahaz was 20 years old. This is Hezekiah's father, the man that was, is told, we're told that was a great king who put things right, who put God first, who told the Levites and the priests to sanctify yourself. Things have got to be right. We've got to clean up the filthiness out of the house of God. Get the filthiness out of your life. That was Hezekiah's message. But his daddy Ahaz, the Bible said in 2 Chronicles 28, Ahaz was 20 years old. When he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, but he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord like David his father. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made also molten images for Balaam. Moreover, look here, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burnt his children in the fire. Ahaz sacrificed his children for his idols. You know what's killing us today, don't you? Why we don't serve the Lord, why we don't go to church, why we don't read the book? Because we're worshiping our things rather than God. Other things are more important. You know what happens when you worship things more than God? You sacrifice your children to them things. They die. Now let me say this. All them kids today have sacrificed. Hey, praise God, one decided to do what's right. But it wasn't because he was taught the right way. It's because he's seen the wrong way and didn't want to go down the same road that his daddy had went down. Amen. He watched his brothers and sisters die by the hand of a man that worshiped something other than God. Amen. And he said, I don't want that life for me. So don't you run around here and stick your head up in there and pride and boast because one of your children decided to live for God and do right in spite of the fact that you raised them while you was living in sin. That's a slap in the face of God. 
What I'm saying to you is this. Let's look at Job for just a moment. What did Job do? Job was a man who, like Paul, had to suffer. And he was afflicted. What does the Bible say about Job? Go with me to the book of Job for just a minute. Let's look at Job. Ahaz has sacrificed his children for the things of the world. But the Bible tells us here in Job, chapter number 1 and verse number 1, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. Now the Bible tells us in verse 5, and it was so when the days of their... No, let's back up here. Verse 2. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. So Job is a man that's had great posterity. Said his substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. He had more than he could know what to do with. But those things didn't have him. That's right. Amen. He still put God first and feared God. And listen, more than all the things he owned. He loved his children more than that. How do we know? Look what the Bible said. said, and it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early. Why? Because the Bible said in verse 4, his sons went and feasted in their house and every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. All the siblings were getting together and having a good time. And Job said, and it was so... The Bible says, Job 1.5, And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them. What's that mean? What was it that Hezekiah done to the priests and Levites? He said, sanctify yourself. Get the filthiness out of your life. Now one thing Job did not do was Job did not put up with sin. Job did not put up with that which was wrong. Let me pause here while it's good and hot and heavy. If you're a mama today or a daddy and you say, well, my kids are grown. That's great. Don't harbor them in their sin. Let me say something else to you mamas. If you've got a kid that lives in your household that's grown, but they won't go to the house of God and they won't give themselves to the book and they won't do what's right and they won't follow your leadership, they don't need to be sitting in your house under your money and, 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 and doing what they want to do. As long as my children live in my house, they will go to church. They will listen to the word of God. I can't make them do anything from their heart, but I can put their hind in that pew. And I can put them under the word of God and sound doctrine of what thus saith the Lord God. And when my kids are 30, if they have nowhere to go, they can live with me. But they will be in church or they will not live with me. And if you've got a daughter or a son that won't go to the house of God when they're supposed to, and you're harboring them and paying for them and allowing them to sit in your house and eat your food and sit on your couch and watch your TV on your dollar, you're foolish for not keeping them in that book. And God still wants you to do what's right. There was a father in Luke chapter 15 who could not control his son. And that father had given him the inheritance that was coming to his son. Everything he worked for, he'd give it to his son. Now we're working for our children. And our children might take what we've worked for and give them and do wrong with it. But I'll tell you what we don't do. We don't follow them down there in that far country where they're living in squalor. We don't take, go down there where they're living in sin and, and giving their money to, 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 to righteous living and to, to harlots and to alcohol and to drugs and to whatever else can only, one can only imagine. The daddy stayed at home with his wife, with his servants, and with the son that wanted to do right. He didn't sacrifice those that were doing right for the one that wanted to do wrong. He said, son, you take the money if you're going to go. You live like you're going to live if that's what you want to do. I'll be here for you when you get back, but I'll not come to you. You'll come to me. You know what that is? I'm glad there was a place for that boy when he comes to the end of himself to come back home too. 
But he wasn't down there in the far country controlling his daddy back there at the house. Dad said, son, you've made your bed, you lay in it. And today what we need is mamas and daddies that will say, son, daughter, you made the bed, you lay in it. When you want to do right, the door's open, you'll be welcome home with open arms. I'll love you, I'll kiss you, I'll kill the fatted calf. We'll have a party because you're home and you want to do what's right. We'll celebrate your homecoming. We'll celebrate you, but we will not celebrate you in your sin. And when you allow them to live like that, man, I'm, I'm telling it right this morning. I don't know why I'm hung up right here, but I'm just going to go till I get done or I run out of gas one. We got mamas and daddies in 2022 that's letting their children live in sin. So I can't control them. You don't have to pay for them. You don't have to pay for them. I'm talking give them the boot and tell them to head down the road and find them somewhere to live if they're not going to live right. We gotta have somebody that'll stand up and do what's right. Job loved his children. It was so when the days of their feasting were going about. He wasn't thinking about his camels. He wasn't thinking about all them donkeys. He wasn't thinking about all his all his wealth. He was thinking about his seven kids. He owned more than anybody in the East could own. But the things in the East that he had didn't own him. But I tell you what he done, he worried about his children every day. How do we know he worried about them? Say, were they living dirty? Notice what the Bible said. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them. And the Bible said, and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be, it may be that my sons have sinned. I, I, I don't know that they have, but they might have. And I'm worried about it that they just might have sinned. You know what I worry about? I worry about their mind just my sin. They ain't sinned yet. They ain't left and went to the far country. They ain't took what I've given them and squandered it. But I worry that they just might. And because they just might, I am trying to sanctify them and tell them what I can, what the truth is, because once they're gone, I know I can't go with them and be by that book. They'll have to go out there and the devil will have to do to them whatever the devil's going to do. And I'm going to have to stay in my, my home and have a place that's ready for them when they decide to come back. Wouldn't it be awful though for them to want to come back and there'd be nothing for them to come back to? Oh, but you're harboring them and letting them stay right now and all you're doing is sacrificing everything you've got because you won't stand for what the tr what's truthful. Maybe my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. They hadn't done anything on the outside yet. He hadn't seen a manifestation of it in their body. They ain't really done anything physically, but he knows that the heart is deceitful. And of all things desperately wicked, the Bible said, who can know it? And he knows just by the nature of their flesh that if he don't stay on top of it, they're going to do something that's going to cost them God in their life. My sweet little daughter's back there that I love. The Bible said, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And the heart is deceitful above all things desperately wicked. And I know who I was as a kid. And I know what my little ignorant mind could do to me. And I look back there and I say, oh, I don't know that they've sinned. But it just might be. And I worry every day, Brother Shane, trying to stay ahead of it. It just might be. And all he wanted when he sanctified them and told them to sanctify them says was he wanted them clean. 
He wanted them right. All mamas and daddies ought to want today, in spite of all the wealth that they could have or the wealth that they don't have, is just that their daughters and their sons are clean, doing something for the glory and for the honor of God. Because all Paul had when he had nothing, he said, when I had nothing, when all men forsook me, he said, the Lord stood with me. And when he was in that prison, locked down, you know what he was still doing? He's still making an impact on a lost and dying world wherever he was. You know what I want to do? I want to make an impact on where I'm at. Now here's what here's the message. And I guess I have to preach the rest of it tonight. That don't please come back. Here's the message. The emphasis from the writer of Hebrews to the Jew was Moses did great things. But forever great Moses, there was a great mom and daddy. Oh yes. A great one. Let's read about this, this family real quick. Go back to the book of Hebrews while you're holding in Exodus chapter number 2. Hebrews chapter number 2. See us come to the piano, please. Don't play. Just find something. Hebrews 12. Look with me in verse 23. By faith Moses when he was born. Now, it looks like we're talking about the faith of Moses, but we're not. By faith, then we're talking about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. It wasn't Moses' faith, faith that hid him three months. It was not Moses' faith that hid him three months. It was the faith of his parents. Why were they hiding him? They were hiding him, Brother Shane, to give that boy a fighting chance because they knew that the decree had been sent down by the king that that boy was to die. Now let me say this while I'm on the subject. Babies are dying by the thousands all the time. Notice this, though. For those that actually make it into this world, mamas and daddies are sacrificing them, though, Brother Shane, because of their worldly desires. The Bible said that by faith, when he, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not, read this now, afraid of the king's commandment. Well, then why, why didn't they go out there with their head hung high and boast about it? See, this is not telling us that, that they didn't have any kind of fear. What this is teaching us is that they feared God way more than they feared Pharaoh. <coughs> and here's what they were going to do. They were going to do right by that child at all cost and give that child every fighting chance that they could in a world that was up in their face telling them that they cannot do it. We allow the public school system to tell us what we can and cannot do. We allow our government to say you can and cannot do that. We will teach your children this. We will teach your children that. They won't teach mine that. I guess I'll have to go to jail and be locked in stocks and do my praying like Paul and Silas did before I let them do that to me and my children. Now listen, you don't have to be stupid. You ought to be savvy and you ought to pray and you ought to do, ask the Lord to help you. Now let me say this, it's all about pleasing the Lord, right? Now the Bible teaches us that Jeremiah was, and Paul was called from his mother's womb to reveal. He said, when it pleased the Lord who called me from my mother's womb to reveal his son in me. God had a plan for Paul. That plan was for Paul to preach and do what Paul was doing. But we know and we've been teaching that God used Paul before he got saved. To do the same work in a different manner that was causing problems. But he still got the glory out of Saul's life. Saul, who we understand was name was changed to Paul. 
Jeremiah, we understand, the Bible said he, that he knew him from his mother's womb. The Lord knew him from his mother's womb. Let me say, what I'm trying to get at is, is the Lord had a plan for Jeremiah. And that plan was seen in Jeremiah's life when that baby was still in the womb of Jeremiah's mother. I believe that's Jeremiah chapter number 1. You can find that there. God had a plan. Now listen, God has a plan for salvation. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's a whosoever will salvation. Not every man and woman gets saved. Some die and go to hell. Not because God wills it so, but because through their own will they will not accept Christ. God's desire is that they be saved, but some are not. Listen to this. God's desire is for, some of, for these babies and these children to be born, to grow up and to serve Him. But guess what? His will's not always met. Because there's still a mom and daddy that's involved in that process. Say, I failed my children when they were growing up. Don't fail them now. Get faithful today. Stand solid for God today. Say, I'm going to stick with the Bible regardless today. Say, well, it's not working. It may not today, but it might tomorrow. Faith don't help you tomorrow if you give up on faith today. But you understand, you don't fix something overnight. You may have to go through some struggles and some trials yourself to show that Christ is manifest in your life through faithfulness to cause those who have no faith in what your message is to see that there's something real about you. Say, I don't know how to make my kids believe. I don't know how to make my daughter or my son do right. You just stay faithful to a fault, friend. And allow God, in spite of your circumstances, to manifest Himself through your life. He'll do it. God will manifest himself in ways that you don't have to try to figure out how to make him manifest if you'll just stay faithful in spite of your circumstances. The circumstances itself will draw the Christ that's within you without. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not talking about you figure out how you can get saved and I'll figure out my own way to get saved. That means I'm saved. And now I work out my salvation. What God done for me that's on the inside of me works out with fear and trembling. Scared of what? Scared that people are going to die and go to hell? Scared that God will punish me if I don't do what's right? The fact that I ought to fear God more than I fear man? The Bible still says we ought to obey God rather than men. You know what Jochebed done, don't you? And Amram? They feared God more. And they feared the king. Now the circumstances in which they had to raise Moses were far different than they had to raise Miriam and Aaron. But let me say this. Was it not Miriam that was hiding down there that was interested in Moses? Why did she care? We done seen that Aaron, Miriam, and Moses, all three, were God-honoring individuals who were serious about God. They raised three children to serve God. Now it wasn't Moses' mother that was reporting on where Moses was. It was Moses' sister who was raised by the same set of parents. Why did she care? I believe she loved God just as much as Aaron did. I believe they were instilling in them children the right way regardless of the society that they lived in. And because of that, there was a concern in the heart of Miriam that may not have been there if the proper training had not been present. Can I say this? Miriam was as substantial in helping Moses as his own mother was. Because it was that daughter that was down there reporting to mama 
what that little boy situation was down there that day when, when the king of, uh, when Pharaoh's daughter found him floating in that basket of reeds. Let me say this to you young folks, to you brothers and sisters who have brothers and sisters. You never know what kind of impact you can have on your brother or your sister just by being mindful to care about the things of God. There was a girl that cared about that boy because there was something instilled in her that caused her to care. Oh, you say, oh, well, brothers care about brothers. No, they don't. No, they don't. There's brothers and sisters that do not care about one another. But because she cared, because she'd been raised right, she had as much of an impact on little Moses as Mama did. It's a family affair. It's a family affair when there's schism in the family, when there's people in the family that's broken from the way that God wants them to be. There is an impact that is caused from that. God did not intend for, for you to raise one out of two the right way or one out of three the right way. God wants you to raise them all the right way. Say, well, I don't know how. Moses' mama didn't know how either. She did it by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Evidence of things not seen. She didn't have it figured out. She had to trust and she had to obey the truth. And she had to be sincere and faithful and allow God to do the rest. And can I say, God didn't let her down. Moses, one of three that was put in circumstances that the other two weren't put in, still managed to be a great leader because he had a mama that helped him, and a mama that had a relationship with the God of heaven. You know what your lifeline is to being a mama today? It's not the riches of this world. It's the God of heaven. Listen, I've said it the other night, and I'm done. It takes me being in the center of his will and being full of the Spirit of God to be able to pastor a church. But not from the position. I could hold the position and not have that. But in order to have what God wants, it has to be that way. You expect me to have what I need to be the pastor of this church. And that means I've got to be full of the Spirit. You can't be the daddy you ought to be without being filled with the Spirit. You cannot be the mama that you ought to be without being filled with the Spirit. You cannot be the daughter or the son that God expects you to be without being filled with the Spirit. You know why we're failing today as children and as mamas and as daddies? I know it's Mother's Day and I, I know, but, but listen, this is, this is good. This will help you. This will help you more than me asking all you mamas to stand up and all give you in a rose and telling you how wonderful you are. When honestly, I don't know if you're wonderful or not, but God does. I could make you leave here today feel good about yourself as being a mama, but having a baby don't make you a God-honoring mother. And having a baby don't make you a God-honoring daddy. And having a wife don't make you a God-honoring husband. And having a husband don't make you a God-honoring wife. What are you saying today? I'm saying it's about pleasing God. Hezekiah said this. He said, I see my brothers and sisters die because my daddy was worshiping things that weren't God. And I don't want that. You may have been given great example. Praise the Lord if you have. You ought to love God, love your mama, and love your daddy, and, and keep going the right way. You may have had some terrible examples. You know what you do? You learn from the bad examples, and you say, I don't want that for myself. I want what God has, a victorious life. 
Now we see that God uses Moses. God makes Moses a great leader. And he brings them children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, headed for the promised land. But it would have never happened if there hadn't first been a mama and a daddy who said in spite of what may come, in spite of the decree, in spite of the consequences, in spite of the circumstances, I'm going with God. And I don't fear the king's decree. Fear God. With fear and trembling, we work out our own salvation. We don't fear God like we ought to, and we fear the population and what the world thinks about us more. I don't care if the world don't like the fact that my 12-year-old daughter don't know how to use a trashy smartphone and pull up trash on the Internet. I don't care if you like it or not. And when yours is living in sin because you give them something they didn't need, and mine isn't, Come to me and talk to me about it, and I'll try to take you to the Scripture and show you why I made the decisions that I did. Say, preacher, you're acting boastful. No, mine very well could grow up and do something wrong. Guess what? They all can. But you know what happens when they do? We've got to be like that father over there in Luke 15 and wait on them to come back. We don't go down there and tell them they're doing a good job. What the father gave them, he gave them. He didn't give him anything else until he come back. I'm not giving mine nothing else until they come back if they leave. Amen. What's this, about? What's this all about? What's this all about? I'm emphasizing to you that before we can have great leaders, we first have to have great parents. If I never, ever become a great leader, but I am a great parent, and my children grow up and go home for God and make God happy and please God and do something for the glory and for the honor of God to help exponentially increase the kingdom of God, I have been satisfied and I have done what God wanted me to do and I can get a well done, thy good and faithful servant. I'll be honest with you, Brother Shane, I'd rather be a good... I'd rather be known for being the kind of dad that God wanted me to be than to pastor a thousand and have all the accolades of, of, of the biggest church and the finest choir. and All, all that's great, but I, I want my children to grow up be right with God. If you're a child in here tonight or this morning, you ought to want, you ought to want God honoring parents, and you ought to thank God that you got them. If you're a child in here and you don't have them, you ought to pray for them, that God would help them. If you're a parent in here or a grandmother or grandfather, you say, I failed. Don't fail no more. Just do right and allow God to use you. God can help us all. We all are part of a family somehow or another. And when there's schisms in the family, friend, there's problems in the church. Because churches are made up of families. And ultimately all it's doing is the devil sits back and laughs. Because he is winning and souls are still going to hell. And we are not helping them get to heaven because we're too busy dealing with our own little problems where we won't stand up for the truth and what's right, flat-footed, and, and please God anymore. I'm tired of worrying about what man thinks. I don't care what society thinks. I don't care what the status quo is. I don't care if my car is as nice as yours or if you appreciate the vehicles that I drive and if they don't meet up to the standards of the Joneses. I don't care. I honestly don't care. I don't care if you don't like my cheap suits. I don't care. I don't care if you like the way I part my hair, Brother Marvin. If my tie don't meet your standard, get over it. It don't matter. Is he pleased? Because except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. God has to put his stamp of approval on it. 
He stamped approval on Moses, but he didn't stamp approval on it until the parents done what was right. He had a calling for Jeremiah, but Jeremiah first had to have a mom and daddy to raise him. Let's all stand our feet. Sister, if you'll play, I don't know what you do with that this morning. If you need to come do business with God, talk to the Lord. Are you the kind of child that God wants you to be? Are you the kind of parent God's wanting you to be? Say, preacher, I failed. Come get some help this morning. He can help you. He's the only thing that can help you. Say, I'm tired of failing. Come pray. Talk to the Lord. He can fix your problems. He can help you. He's the only thing that can, might I add. There's nothing that you can figure out, nothing that you can do that's going to fix the problem. I can assure you of that. But the Lord can straighten things out when the devil is trying to tear them down. The devil is trying to tear down, by the way. The devil wants to wreck your life. The devil wants to wreck your home. The Bible says he's a roaring lion, seeking whom he made a vow. He's not wanting to hurt you just a little. He's not wanting to just cause you a little pain. Satan's wanting to destroy you as a roaring lion that he may devour you, to kill you, to render you useless. Because if you're useless, you're not going to permeate anything that causes someone else that's lost and undone to see their need for a Savior. You can live for the world and lose your whole family today. You can live for the Lord and stand up for what's right, even though they may not appreciate it, and you might just salvage them at the end of it all. But it'll take the Lord helping you to do it. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. If you've been building a while without the Lord, you're building wrong. And what you build wrong, you have to tear down and start over. Maybe you need to come and ask the Lord to forgive you from all the building you've been doing without Him and ask the Lord to help you build right moving forward. The building won't stand without the Lord. The building's not going to stand without the Lord. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. What kind of foundation are you putting under your family? You need to come, I would that you'd come. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If you need to do business with God, I want you to do that. Bible said in Matthew chapter number 7 and verse number 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will like him unto a wise man that build his house upon a rock. Jesus said, Upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You can build on the Lord Jesus Christ, friend, and have a sure foundation. But if you try to build without him, you're going to, it's going to tumble on you. The Bible said, And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. Is your, house, is your home falling apart? Is your home falling apart? You need the Lord this morning. Verse 26 said, And everyone that heareth these things of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these things, the people were astonished at his doctrine. I said, Preacher, what you preach this morning shocks me. I can't believe you'd say such a thing as that. I can't believe you'd be that hard on Mother's Day. Friend, I'm not trying to be hard on you. I'm wanting your houses to stand. I'm wanting your homes and all the effort that you're putting into all your building for it to make it, friend, through the storms of life. 
Your homes can't stand the storms of life if they're not built on the foundation of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're hearing that you're not doing, if you're building without the Lord, you're building something that's going to fall. It's not a matter of, of if it falls, it's a matter of when. You're wasting your effort in what you're doing. You're wasting your effort as a mother. You're wasting your effort as a father. You're wasting your effort as a husband, a, a wife, a, a grandmother, grandfather, a child. You're wasting, you're, you're wasting it all if you don't listen to the Word of God and make God your final authority to make the Lord Jesus Christ the foundation in which you're building on. It's a matter of time. Job tells us that man born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. The storms of life are coming. Will it blow down everything you've built or will there be something left, friend, on the foundation of the Lord? If you need to come, you come. One more verse of song. One more verse of invitation. If you need to come, please come. We won't come to where you're at. We won't bother you. I wonder if, if you'd just be honest and say, Preacher, listen, I'm not going to come call your name out. I'm not going to come to where you are. I just wish if you, if you know that there's a problem in your life, that you'd just slip up your hand in acknowledgement so that I can pray for you in my private time to make it a matter of quiet prayer so that I can pray for you that the Lord would help you. Would you just slip your hand up and say, I need help. I need some help. Things are just not right. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning. We thank you for our mothers. We thank you for our families. We thank you for... Lord, what you've done for us at Calvary. Lord, we recognize that for everyone that's ever done anything great, there was a family member that loved him. I thought about Brother Isaac as he brought the devotion this morning, talked about young Timothy. Lord, we understand that there were some issues concerning Timothy's father. But Timothy had a great mother, and a great grandmother that had wonderful faith, unfeigned faith, faithful. Lord, because of it, he was fruitful and was able to do something. For every great leader, Lord, we understand there was a great parent or a great mother that should have been in the background. Lord, we love you. Pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be all that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen and amen. Certainly appreciate your good attention this morning. And I would like to say we do appreciate our visitors being with us this morning. You shake their hand. Let them know that you're glad that they're here. And you shake hands with one another, if you will, fellowship as much as you'd like. And uh, then we'll be back in here tonight at uh, 5.30. Let's try for 5.30 uh, to, uh, to be here for prayer room. And if the ladies can come and maybe practice a song or two uh, in the ladies' choir, that'll be great. And uh, we'll keep trying to do, do practices if we can on Sunday evenings for the next little while. All right? Anything on your heart before we dismiss? Anything at all? All right. But Isaac, will you dismiss us, please?